What does it mean to be devoted to God? We have an idea of what it means to be devoted to our team, devoted to our favorite band, devoted to our families and friends. But what does it mean to be devoted to God? Does it mean that you have to pray for four hours every single day? Does it mean that you have to fill up your calendar with all sorts of Christian type things? Devoted to God must mean that you become an international missionary and you move to Africa. Now, we all have ideas of what it means to be devoted to God, but I bet there are a lot of people in this room that have one more thought or conception with that question. And it's this. I personally can never really be devoted to God. Maybe there are people here this morning who think, that they're barely Christians. People here this morning that think they're barely forgiven or barely accepted or they will barely get into heaven. They're just hoping for the cheap seats, the general admission seats into heaven. Maybe you can get in the standing room only area. What does it mean to be devoted to God? What I want to encourage you with this morning is that being devoted to God is not something simply reserved for the spiritual heavyweights, for those wonderful, awesome, powerful Christians that you hear about or you read about. Being devoted to God is something that you and I can have, can enjoy. We can have a living and vibrant and growing and mature faith. It's possible for you and it's possible for me. How does that happen? How is it expressed? How do we enjoy it? There are a couple things. First of all, we can have this growing sense of our devotion to God. We can grow as believers. We can grow up in our faith. That's a a first important part. But second, more importantly, the motor, the fuel, the power to us being able to grow and understanding that we're devoted to God. You know what it is? It's knowing and coming to terms with the fact that God is devoted to us. Through thick and thin, no matter what, God is devoted to his children. He loves us. He cares for us. He's with us. He's devoted to us. And that's the thing that can help grow our devotion to him. Psalm uh, 63 is really a case study in this reality. Let's think about the context for a moment. The psalm tells us that it was written by King David. King David was the king of Israel over around 3,000 years ago. And it was written when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And we have to know that he wasn't simply on a weekend camping trip. He wasn't on an adventure that we'd like to go on. He was, once again, running for his life. There had been a coup attempt on his life and upon his kingdom. And this attempt didn't come from the outside. It didn't come from the the opposite political party. It didn't come from a random person. The person that wanted to take David out and usurp his authority as king was his own son, Absalom. So imagine the loneliness, the hurt, the betrayal, the struggle as David was hiding out in the wilderness behind a tree, sleeping on the ground, 
maybe hiding behind a rock. That is the context where his devotion to God and God's devotion to him came out, where it shined. It is a road-tested, weather-proven picture, a glimpse of what it means that God cares for us and what it means that we can be devoted to him. So let's look at the passage together and look at three things. First of all, being devoted to God means that we have a relationship with God. Being devoted to God means we have a relationship with God. And I know that's, that's Christian lingo, that's Christianese, but it, it's so powerful and descriptive. Oh God, look at verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. We saw this principle last week from Psalm 130. God is all-powerful. He's transcendent and glorious and mysterious. And and also, He's personal and loving and caring. He personally cares for and enters into relationship with people like us. His covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Joshua is a promise like this. I will be your God. And you'll be my people. Being devoted to God means we have a relationship with God. And that's a relationship initiated by God. He moves toward us. He pursues us. We see this beautifully expressed in the New Testament. When Jesus Christ came down from heaven, born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, He came toward us. And the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to understand the things of God. This is one of the refrains of the Bible, that God moves toward us. He's the way to the Father. Jesus Christ came to forgive and reconcile us to the Father. It's a relationship initiated by God, and it's a committed relationship. You know, the the picture that the Bible uses of the relationship between Israel and God, between God's children and Himself, is one of marriage. God was said to be the husband to Israel. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. Look at verse 3. It's a loving relationship. Because your steadfast love is better than life. I will praise you with my lips. It is the ultimate relationship. This can be seen in Psalm 63 in the wilderness, in the desert. But it's also seen in other passages. Do you remember Philippians chapter 3? Where Paul, after he highlights his, his family pedigree, his unsurpassing spiritual resume, this is his summary. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. The the essence of Paul's life, the heart of it, is he would give up everything to know Christ, to have a relationship with Christ. And it's, it's expressed here in Psalm 63, in the dark night of David's soul, in the lonely, desolate wilderness of alienation and confusion and heartbreak, he stands on the foundation of his relationship 
with God. His connection to God. And more importantly, God's devotion and connection to Him. He essentially says in Psalm 63, Lord, You know me, and I know You. Earnestly I seek You. My soul clings to You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, my flesh faints for You, O God. There's a relationship there, isn't it? That's a first and vital step of being devoted to God. It's knowing God. Being in relationship with Him. Humbling ourselves before Him. A simple trust and reliance and a relationship upon Him. It's fueled by prayer and God's Word. It's not based on tradition or good works or self-righteousness. You may be here this morning and think to yourself, I have no idea what you're talking about, Josh. I have no idea what it means to have a relationship with God. If that's where you are, I'd love to talk to you about it. Because I have been there. When I was in high school, I went to my girlfriend's youth group. And there were maybe seven or eight of us sitting in a circle. And and the youth leader said, tonight, why don't we just go around and talk about our relationship with Christ? And I, I... I freaked out because I had no relationship with Christ. I was running away from Christ. I was not running to Christ. So everyone started to talk and I came up with some fake words to say. Uh, But that night got to me. And being able to talk about your relationship with God doesn't have to be cheesy. It doesn't have to be all the right spiritual words. It can be something as simple as, He's my Lord and my God and my Savior and my friend. He's my master. He laid down His life for me. I want to live my life for Him. There is a connection in the Christian faith. It's knowing God, being devoted to God means that we have a relationship with Him. second thing we see from Psalm 63 is that being devoted to God means that we worship God. It may be shocking to you, but Psalm 63 is really a psalm about worship. It's a psalm about worship in the solitude of being a fugitive, lonely, parched, hiding, afraid, depressed, forgotten. What does David do? He worships God. He writes and sings a psalm about singing and speaking and praying and blessing God. As human beings, we were created to worship God. We were made to worship. We were created to give thanks and praise and adoration and glory to God. It's one of the most basic parts of being human, of living in the way that God designed for us to live. But it is very easy to forget, isn't it? It's very easy to forget that. We run, we play, we work, we're exhausted, and we forget that our lives and our hearts were meant to be lived in reference primarily to God. And then there are the times when we try to find satisfaction and fulfillment in other things. The Bible calls that idolatry. And if you're a human being, I think you know a little bit about that. We can worship ourselves, our stuff, places, 
ideas, experiences, people, money, power, pleasure, escape, control, comfort. That's just the beginning. Psalm 63 is a reminder for us that being devoted to God means that we worship Him. And there's this wonderful paradox that's set out in Psalm 63. Devoted to God, worship means seeking, yet being satisfied. These two concepts go hand in hand. David faints for God. His soul thirsts for God. Part of his worship is him coming to God and seeking Him and pursuing Him and clinging to Him. And then in just the next verses, verse 5 says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. So they're seeking, yet satisfaction. It's the same idea from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be satisfied. Part of devoted to God worship is a desperate need to have our spiritually dry and hungry souls quenched and fed by Jesus Christ. Nothing else will do. We need the living water. We need the bread of life. It's this singular, desperate, consuming drive we have within our lives. You ever heard about one of the ways that natives in Africa find water? One of the ways is to go and catch a baboon. Now that in itself would be complicated, I'm sure. But to catch a baboon and to tie him up and then you feed him salt. And apparently baboons love salt and so he'll eat and eat and eat and then all you have to do is wait. And then you can tell that that baboon is getting so, so thirsty. And they cut him loose And that baboon would run straight to the water that nobody else knew about. And he would quench his thirst. And that's one of the ways that the the natives would find water in Africa. Have you gotten to the place in your life where you're so tired and thirsty? Where your soul is fainting for God? Where you need Him. You have to have Him. He's the only place you can go to find satisfaction and help. That's what devoted to God worship is all about. But here's the flip side. At the same time, in the same manner, this is the over, there is this overwhelming satisfaction with God. That He's filled your life with meaning and purpose Enjoy. Part of devoted to God worship means saying with Abraham, you're my shield and my exceeding great reward. Or with Asaph from Psalm 73, remember these words, whom have I in heaven besides you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my, and my portion forever. We have him now and God is our inheritance. Seeking yet satisfied, fainting, yet filled. This is the way Psalm 63 highlights the Christian life. It highlights what it means to be devoted to God. One of the only ways that I can think to illustrate this is through marriage. If you're married, uh, hopefully when you got married, you loved your spouse. And as you live together in God's mercy 
and grace, you can be parched and starving without that person. And you can be deeply satisfied in their love for you. My wife and I have been married since 1999, and we love each other now more than we did when we first got married. And hopefully, if we have the, the, the honor and the joy of growing old together, that we will love each other more and more and more, seeking yet satisfied. That's part of what devoted to God worship is. Devoted to God worship also restores our spiritual sanity. The premise is this, worship is such a vital part of being human, of becoming the women and the men that we're meant to be, because it reminds us of the spiritual realities in life. David is afraid, he's thirsty, he's scared, he's in the wilderness, his soul is dry and weary, and and he describes that in verse 1. But then what does he do? Look at verse 2. So, therefore... I looked upon you in the sanctuary. He's remembering God and the rest of God's people. He's remembering looking upon God in the midst of others in the corporate assembly. Seeing God's power and glory in the midst of his struggles, in the midst of his trials and turmoils and sadness. He spontaneously does what? He worships God. I will praise you, verse 3. I will bless you as long as I live. Verse 5, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Under the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Think about that last image for a second. The amount of trust and contentment expressed there. Singing for joy in the shadow of God's wings. You know, baby birds go under their mother's wings to find Safety when something is going wrong, when they're afraid, when there's danger. Think about the amount of safety and security that David must feel when he can sing songs of joy under the shadow of his father's wings in the midst of the darkest and most difficult times in his life. Not only does this reference in Psalm 63 have to do with public worship, but David remembers private worship. Look at verse 6. When I remembered you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. He remembers that God has been with him. He remembers God's promises. Are you in a hole in your life? Do you feel depressed or sad or betrayed or hurt or guilt-ridden? Or do you have a lack of joy? Do you feel like you're in the wilderness like David was? What Psalm 63 teaches us is that the way out is the way up. Worshiping God may be the last thing that you want to do when you feel depressed and and hurt and afraid, but it's one of the most important things that we can do. Reminding yourself of God's truths, meditating on His glory and His power and His love and His faithfulness, worshiping God in in public, worshiping God in private, maybe writing down the things that God has done in your life, and you'll be amazed as you see what God has done and what God is doing. There's something irreplaceable about worshiping God with others. A couple applications. First of all, do you ever wonder why some people leave faith? 
There are all sorts of reasons that people have doubts or questions about Christianity, and those are legitimate and real. But one of the themes that goes along with people who have found themselves outside of the faith once they were is this. They stopped going to church. They stopped going to church. And then the weeks turned into months, and the months turned into years. It's a very simple aspect of centering and recalibrating who we are as people is coming here week by week to worship God. And young people, when you go off to college, when you finish college and move to another town, it'll be very tempting to think, I love God, but there's so many other things to do on Sundays. I'll go to church next week or next month, or next year. Another thing that this psalm, I think, reminds us of is that we do need to worship God, not publicly only, but in private. We need to meditate on Him in the watches of the night and remember Him on our beds and pray and read personally, privately, quiet our souls and our hearts and stop and wait and read and pray. Being devoted to God means that we worship Him. The last thing I want us to see this morning is that being devoted to God means that we trust Him. Now it may seem redundant or obvious, but this is one of the basic things that being devoted to God means. It means that we trust in God. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, many of you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Look at verse 8 with me. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. It reminds me of the the chorus of the song that we sang here at church last week, God's Highway. I'm holding on to you, Lord. You're holding on to me. My friend Michael Gordon loves to tell this story of when he and his dad, he was a child, they'd go deer hunting and his dad would would tie a rope around Michael, kind of like a harness. And then his dad would climb up into the tree stand and get settled. And then he'd tell Michael, now hold on to the rope. And he would hold on as hard as he could. And then his dad would pull him up into the deer stand. Michael thought that if he let go, that he would fall. But the reality was that his dad had tied him up and held him tight. I'm holding on to you, Lord. You're holding on to me. There is a fundamental trust about being devoted to God. Trusting Him is a core, simple, fundamental part of being devoted to God. And I think there are a couple things that we see specifically that David trusted God about. First of all, he trusted that God had a plan. Now, he definitely didn't know what it was. He couldn't see it unfold. He didn't know what would happen the next hours or days or weeks ahead. But he had to believe that God had a plan. And it gave him the ability to worship in the wilderness. God has a plan for our lives. We don't know what it is. We don't know the details. Maybe especially in the dark days, we we need to remember that he has a plan and to trust him. 
David also knew and trusted God that he would make all things right. That's what verses 9 through 11 are about. David was confident that his enemies would be stopped, that he would be vindicated, that God would one day make all the wrongs right. And this is where the justice of God comes into play. We want a just God. Even when people escape uh, or get away with the atrocities and injustices in this life and in this world, they cannot escape God. Remember what the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the place where God's vengeance, God's wrath is poured out so that people like us can have fellowship with Him and people that trust in Jesus Christ. What a solid foundation. Being devoted to God means we trust Him. And trusting in God is not simply something you do at the beginning of the Christian walk and it's over and done with. It's not something that you do when you become a Christian and then you cruise through life. We are called to trust in God more and more throughout our lives. Do you remember when you were a kid? Maybe kids, maybe you remember this happening this summer. You're just learning how to swim. You love the pool. You get out on the side and your parents stand there and you jump into the pool to them. And then, you know, they kind of give you a shove toward the side and they, then you climb out and you get to the side and what's happened? Mom or dad are a little bit further away from the side. And you say, come closer, come closer, I can't do it. And they say, yes, you can. I'll catch you, trust me. And you jump in and swim to them and then, you know, go back to the side and they, no, no, that's too far. I can't do it, there's no way. Yes, you can. Trust me. In some small way, that illustrates what trusting in God is like. We walk through life and it's as if God is saying to us and showing us, you love me and trust me, right? You know that I love you, right? Follow me. No, God, I can't do that. There's no way. It's too hard. Do you know me? Do you love me? You know that I love you. Come on. Follow me. Being devoted to God more and more through our lives happens as we know and come to terms with and believe that God is devoted to us. So David gives us an idea from Psalm 63 about what it means to be devoted to God. The bottom line is pretty simple. Know God, worship God, trust in God. It's not some secret way. It's not a complicated formula. And whether you believe it or not, you can be devoted to God. You can live your life to and for the Lord with a growing sense that He loves you and that He's devoted to you. And that He'll be devoted to you in the good times and in the hardest times of your life. And you may think to yourself, that sounds great, preacher. Thanks, Josh. But how can I really know? How can I really know that God is devoted to me? I've been bombarded with bad news. I don't know how to move forward. I've got my own guilt and shame. How can I know that God 
loves me, and he's devoted to me. What greater pledge and promise that God has devoted to us than the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. I don't know. Is it real? Is it true? Does it even make sense? Or a difference in my life as real as you hear and see and taste and smell and feel the bread and the wine. That's just as real as Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his connection to those who trust in him. That's just as real as Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. As you eat and drink the elements, that's how intimately connected you are to Christ if you believe in him and trust in him. And there's so many other things that we could say. Being devoted to God and God being devoted to us gives us the freedom to be devoted to other people. This is called communion because we're a family. We're fellowship. We fellowship together. We can be devoted to others because God's so devoted to us. And He does all this. He reminds us that He cares for us and He loves us in these simple words. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray.